listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Showtime. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shojai, and today I'm exploring some cheap thrills. Hey, watch it. It's not what you think. That brings me to my rant of the week. When I say cheap thrills, I'm talking about the cheap, cheap, cheap sound baby birds make when they communicate. Ha <laughs> ha, what did you think I meant? Listen, lots of folks enjoy watching backyard birds. Today's rant, though, focuses on those who bring companion parrots into their lives without doing their homework. Loving these glorious creatures isn't enough. Parrots are more than decorations. Understanding your bird goes beyond knowing what food to feed. And we all know about the sad case of unwanted dogs and cats relinquished to shelters due to behavior complaints or even today's economic challenges. Our parrots are not immune. And sadly, because parrots live so much longer than dogs and cats, birds may outlive a beloved human companion. And I wonder how many listeners out there understand what constitutes normal parrot behavior or how to deal with problems that may arise. What do you do when your parrot bites or pulls out all his feathers? Animals don't act out for no reason. Even if us clueless humans have trouble translating what they're trying to say. So if you have a parrot or have ever entertained the notion, my guest today can answer many questions about how to understand your bird and deal with behavior problems. Kashmir Chalky is an international speaker, writer, and certified behavioral consultant with the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. She's now serving as the chairperson of the parrot division of IAABC. So call together your flock. And we'll be right back with Kashmir after these messages. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Pawfume Dog Grooming and Finishing Spray is proud to be a new sponsor of Pet Life Radio. Pawfume Super Long Lasting Sprays are available in four unique fragrances. Each Pawfume spray is fortified with the finest conditioners and detanglers to make combing out your dog more fun. Pawfume retails for only $2 per 6-ounce bottle. Pawfume is available nationwide at all Dollar General and Family Dollar stores. Why pay more to have your dog smell great? Pawfume, P-A-W-F-U-M-E. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. 
Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to teacherspetsessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Salvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. Teacherspetsessions.com. Thinking about buying a monkey? How about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions, where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart, every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. And please help me welcome Kashmir Shockey to the show. Welcome to the show, Kashmir. Hi, Amy. Thank you. I am so excited to have you on. First, what I like to do with my guest is to have you tell a little bit about yourself and and what critters share your life and love. Okay, well, let's see. Uh, I have been working with birds now almost all my life. Uh, first, just as, as, as a pet owner. Actually, uh, my very first connection with a bird was when I was probably around oh, two years old. And my wow. grandfather had a, a, a pet uh, conure. We're not real sure what kind of conure it was. Look at old black and white photographs, but no one's really quite sure what Mikey was. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. and uh, then I was about 16 when I got my first parrot. I was living in Japan at the time. And right now uh, I have 24 birds. Uh, wow. I can name them all for you, but I think that might take too long. Uh, <laughs> they are uh, scarlet macaws and hyacinth macaws. All right. Well, tell folks that are listening that may not know, what is a hyacinth macaw? What's a scarlet macaw? I know, you know, they're going to know these are big, big birds, but what do they look like? What is their uh, personality like? Well, uh, a scarlet macaw is a large bird. It's one that most people have typically seen in a bird show or at the zoo. And uh, they have a bare white facial patch. They are overall red. Um, they have blue wings with a uh, yellow band in the middle of their blue wings. Very, very pretty bird. Looks kind of like a flying rainbow. And the hyacinth macaw is actually a much larger bird. It's, it's bigger than the scarlet. And uh, they are the largest of all of the macaws. They have a big, massive head. They're uh, a cobalt blue. Their skin is yellow, and you can see their skin right around their beak and around their eyes, and they have big, dark eyes. Um, their, their beak is massive, and they are capable of uh, eating nuts that take 2,500 pounds of pressure 
per square inch to actually wow. crack open. But uh, they don't. They don't just bite those nuts open. They score them, work on them, and then they are eventually able to pry them open. So that have birds need to be aware of behaviors because these these wonderful creatures. I mean, if they can cause some damage. Yes. Um, Fortunately, the hyacinth macaw has a pretty mellow personality. Uh, that doesn't mean that uh, you can't have severe bite from one. But uh, overall, it is a bird that can be easier to work with than the scarlet macaw. Scarlet macaws tend to be a little more reactive than hyacinth macaws. And unfortunately, because they're so brilliant colors, more readily available, there are more people who are less experienced with birds getting scarlet macaws and then having more problems and eventually giving them up. Well, that leads right into another question I wanted to ask you. You're the chairperson of the parrot division of IABC. Now, what is that about? How many parrot behavior consultants are there? Well, uh, at this time, there are very few parrot behavioral consultants in the United States. Uh, our division, we have about 60, and uh, all of them certainly are not certified or associate members. Uh, most of us tend to work with our clients over a long distance. Um, you know, we cannot work with, I cannot work with someone who's in Alaska uh, by going to their home. <laughs> and consequently, uh, our consultations generally consist of uh, them contacting us, giving us a brief description of the problems that they're having, then filling out a long questionnaire that most of us will have prepared in advance, and then providing us with videotapes, uh, and also access to their veterinarians so that we can talk to the veterinarians about their perspective on that particular bird. Well, Kashmir, you said you have 24 parrots right now. That's got to take a little bit of time in, in the care routine. Describe your daily routine for folks. What's involved in living with and caring for parrots? Because I think a lot of folks visit a pet store or see a bird fair and they think, you know, this is wonderful, but they don't know what they're getting into. No, they have no idea what they're getting into. Because of the large number of birds that I have, I probably have to do more than the average pet owner. But the average person who has a, a parrot normally has multiple parrots. So um, they may have anywhere from about three, uh, and, and actually some of the people I know have as many as 30 pet parrots. And it does take up a great deal of your time. Uh, I get up around 7 o'clock in the morning, and uh, at that time I start working with my birds immediately before I... I, I get dressed or anything, and uh, the first thing I do is I take them and put them on tea stands where they can all do their morning potty, and that way I don't have to clean up everybody's cage, and then um, I'll move them to a gym or to a stand or a swing or something, and then there are those that still manage to make a big mess in their cage and go clean up that mess. And then after that, I start working on their breakfast. It takes me about uh, 
Oh, two and a half hours to three hours every morning to clean the cages, prepare the food, wash their bowls, and uh, put their food back in the cage and then put each bird back into their own cages. And then uh, in the afternoon, we go through the feeding routine over again, but with uh, a different type of food. And then uh, in the evenings, I spend another approximately two hours cleaning all the cages before the birds are put to bed at night. Most days I spend about seven hours uh, just feeding the birds and cleaning their cages. So it is a tremendous amount of work. Okay. You had mentioned their morning potty. Now, <laughs> can you train a bird to go on command? I mean, that, that would be very cool. Yes, you can. And uh, little birds tend to go more than big birds. Uh, but you do have to be very, very careful of potty training a bird. And uh, there are multiple reasons for that. And one is that there are some birds that if their potty training is really strict, they will strain to go when they don't need to go, which isn't healthy for them. Or uh, they will hold it all day long while somebody's at work. And they will not go until that person gets home and tells them it's okay to go now. And again, you could end up with a sick bird uh, if that potty training is too strict. So it has to be very, uh, oh, uh, casual potty training. There are certain species where uh, uh, the potty is not as uh, pleasant, <laughs> you want to call it that, where they have runnier, runnier poop. Uh, lorries happen to be one of those. Uh, they have a diet of nectar and pollen, and because they have this very watery diet, they have uh, very messy potties. That's a great comment because I think that's something people need to be aware of when choosing a parrot companion. I was going to ask, what's the top mistake people make when they are choosing a parrot as a pet? And that's got to be one of them. What What are the normal behaviors? Just I had a spectacle Amazon for some years, and she had a voice on her. She would scream if she didn't get her food at the right time. And, um, I mean, it was quite upsetting if I hadn't known about it. Uh-huh. Well, there are 350 different species of parrots. And that makes it very difficult to, um, you know, to, to pinpoint one thing. Uh, it is important that before anybody gets a particular parrot that they do research it very, very carefully. Uh, conyers tend to be very noisy birds. Um, cockatoos and macaws, uh, well, all the parrots are, are very loud. The cockatoos have a very high-pitched scream that uh, a lot of people cannot tolerate. Uh, the macaws have a lower-pitched scream, but it tends to be louder. And uh, depending upon the individual, you know, they may or may not be able to tolerate that better. Uh, the noise that they produce does not make them a very good pet for uh, an apartment. And so uh, now these are some of the things that they need to take into consideration. And different species have different dietary requirements. As I mentioned, with the lorries, they eat nectar and pollen. Um, macaws are actually pretty much vegetarians. 
uh, cockatoos. They have to. Uh, they need a little more protein in their diet, and uh, the rose-breasted cockatoo has a tendency to get fat very easily. While oh. Yeah, they get they get really nice and chubby. <laughs> They're the kind of bird that looks at uh, at food, and the next thing you know, you know, the the bird has has put on like thirty grams. The hyacinth macaw has a real high fat requirement, and they're like supermodels. You know, they can eat anything they want, and they don't gain any weight. So um, it's important that you research not only the behavior, but the diet, and that you also look into a good avian veterinarian in your area. I wanted also, before we um, go to a break, just real quickly, I know a lot of people are more familiar with communication from dogs and cats. I mean, we know dogs wag their tails and cats meow, and we may not always understand it, but that's more familiar to us. What are some kind of basic parrot signalment that people need to be aware of? Is it feather elevation, wing fluttering, eye contact? What does it all mean? What are some kind of basics that people might look for? If you're looking for something along the lines of, will this bird bite me? And then what you need to do is to, to look at the feathers. Uh, look at the feathers and look at the eyes. If the feathers are standing out from the body, uh, especially along the nape of the neck, and the bird looks rigid, as opposed to looking uh, sort of soft and gentle. And the eyes on the bird are pinning. They're, they're uh, going down to tiny little pins. The pupil goes down to tiny little pins or dilating back and forth, back and forth. And that bird is overly excited, and especially if the tail is also fanned out. And it is not a bird that you want to approach. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's that's well, like approaching a growling dog. You know, growling dog staring right. its teeth. And a bird that, that wants you to pick it up will frequently lift its foot up in the air. So if you see the bird that has its foot up in the air without having the um, pad of the foot facing towards you, then that bird wants to be picked up. But if the pad of the foot is facing towards you, the bird is saying, stay away. Well, we will continue our conversation with Cashmere Chalky after messages from these sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Give your dog some thought. With Dog Thoughts, it's the iPhone application that everyone's talking about. Hey, what do you think of this? A man in Davis, California says he's invented an application for the iPhone that claims it can read your dog's mind. Huh? No, it's true. Now, I read about it on my cat's Twitter page. That's fine. Jay Leno talked about it, CBS reported on it, and now you can see what all the buzz is about. Created just for dog lovers, Dog Thoughts makes taking photos of your furry best friend more fun. Shake your dog and read his mind. On your iPhone, of course. 
take a pic of your pup, shake your phone, and watch as his thoughts appear on the screen. Does he have a bone to pick with you, or is he having a tail-wagging day? Get your Dog Thoughts iPhone app today. Just 99 cents. Go to PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. That's PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Join us every week on Wings and Things, where you'll find real answers to real questions about everything you want to know about pet birds. Care, feeding, bird products, travel, and more. Everything to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. From parrots to parakeets, cockatiels to cockatoos, you'll have a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about your fun, feathered friends. We're your hosts, Barbara Heidenreich from Good Birding and Robin Schwokas from the Leather Elves. How do I learn more about my parrots? Spread your wings and get ready to fly. Wings and Things, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On PetLife Radio. PetLife Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back, and again, speaking with Kashmir Chalky. Her papers have been translated into Spanish, Italian, German, Russian, Polish, and Czechoslovakia. Her articles have appeared in many magazines in the United States and throughout the world, including Bird Talk, Companion Parrot Quarterly, and Parrots Magazine. She has advised zoos and private aviculturists on breeding macaws, artificial incubation procedures, hand-raising chicks, and parent-rearing chicks. Kashmir was the first breeder known to co-parent hyacinth macaws. Welcome back, Kashmir. Thank you. Now, I wanted to get into this a little bit. What sorts of advice do zoos ask you? Uh, generally, they ask me about uh, breeding behavior. Uh, they'll frequently have a pair of hyacinths and cons, which is a rare species of bird and not a particular easy species to breed. Um, and and you know, they'll ask about how to uh, set up the birds so that um, they are more likely to breed, uh, what sort of diet will test with them so that their eggs we were talking about the advice that zoos request, and you said about breeding. Now, this intro that I gave just right after the break talked about artificial incubation, hand-raising chicks, parent-rearing, 
co-parenting. Uh, these terms sound kind of complicated. Why would someone need or want to know about such things? And more importantly, what are they? Okay. Well, artificial incubation is normally done when the hen is having trouble incubating her eggs herself. Uh, there's uh, something about the conditions at the particular time that the eggs need to be removed and uh, put into an incubator. Very often, if, uh, if there is another hen that would, is capable of incubating at that time, the egg will be put under a, a different hen. But uh, if there isn't, then we have to use an incubator and artificially incubate that egg. And some of the problems that can occur is that the egg will uh, not be losing the proper amount of weight. They have to lose approximately 16% of the lay weight for the chick to be able to hatch. And so uh, when this isn't happening, uh, the egg will be put into an incubator, and then we have to go through a lot of procedures, such as sanding the eggs, uh, even putting holes into the eggs, so that the egg will actually lose the right amount of weight and the chick will successfully hatch. Um, it, it can be a very, very complicated and uh, very stressful uh, procedure. It's one that I like to avoid whenever possible. Co-parenting, or I should say parent raising, is allowing the mother and father to raise the babies themselves. And is that unusual then? That's not necessarily unusual. It's, it's not very popular in the United States. Uh, in the United States, most people like to hand-raise the babies because they feel that they will make better pets. And they don't have to take a bird that has been raised by mom and dad, tame it down, and make it into a pet. Uh, I'm not totally convinced that that is correct. I think that a lot of birds that are raised by the parents can be just as good a pet as one that is hand-raised, sometimes better. Co-parenting is a form of parent-rearing, but uh, with co-parenting, there's a human being that interacts with the baby every day of its life until that baby is independent of its parents. And that is a little more difficult. Uh, that is more complicated because sometimes the parents get very agitated at having someone come in and mess with their baby. Consequently, the, the parents have to be just the right parents for this. They have to feel very comfortable and secure with the person who's doing the co-parenting. And uh, if all those things click into place, then you have a bird that can be raised by the mother and father, know that it's a bird, learn all the things that it needs to learn from mom and dad, and still be very comfortable around human beings. And partially okay. trained by the time that it's independent. Okay, it's I want favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I like co-parenting. <laughs> well, Kashmir, I wanted to get into some serious issues, too, about birds and conservation concerns, concerns about diseases and zoonosis. And also, I noticed there was an article you had on your homepage about insurance issues. I know that insurance companies now have blacklisted certain breeds of dogs because of perceived liability. 
their concerns with parrots now too? What should listeners know and how can you deal with that? For the most part, if your birds are pets, you won't have problems with your insurance company. However, I do know people who have had more than 15 birds and uh, their insurance company discovered that they had more than 15 birds and uh, refused to insure them. It is the sort of thing where um, they're concerned about the bird biting people, and and I'm just not really uh, understanding all of this myself because most birds are kept in cages, and when someone comes to visit them, they can easily put the bird back in their cage. In fact, uh, I normally recommend to people that they have uh, two cages for their birds, Uh, one that uh, is their regular cage and another one which I call their sleep cage. And the sleep cage is put into a part of the house where there is virtually no traffic and it's nice and quiet. And that way, if you have guests, that you think will stick their fingers into your bird cage and irritate your bird, you can just pick your bird up and take them and put them in, in the sleep cage. But um, usually the problems with the insurance companies have to do with people who breed birds in their home and keep birds. And uh, it, it's still a, a mystery to me as to why, since I never really could get a straight answer from any of the insurance companies. You know, when you have an itty-bitty tiny cockatiel, um, that the most damage that the bird can do is inflict a, uh, a bite on your finger that might cover as much as a quarter of an inch. Uh, that just does not seem to be a logical reason for denying someone insurance. Let's go to some of the behavior complaints that you have heard. Just what are some of the top, well, let's say the top three issues that owners of companion birds might have problems with and and any quick tips on how to prevent them or to address them? What are the top uh, three? Number one would be biting, and number two would be screening, and number three is feather picking. Um, Biting is uh, probably the easiest to deal with, even though it's very, very common. And the, the main thing is just not to pressure your bird. If your bird does not want to come out of his cage, you think to yourself, is it essential that my bird comes out of the cage at this point? If the answer is no, it's not important, then you let the bird stay in the cage. You, you, you pick your fights, you know. If you get into a power struggle with your bird, you're always going to lose. So you pick your battles very carefully. And uh, the point is really not to have a battle in the first place. That, that's the very, very quick answer to that question. Of course, it's far from more course. complicated than that. Oh, absolutely. And, and screaming, uh, you should expect some screaming from a bird. It's, it's only natural for them to scream. But it <laughs> is not normal for a bird to scream all day long. It is absolutely just not normal for them to scream excessively. If you're in the wild and you're watching parrots in the wild, when they're eating, you can have 50 parrots around you and it can be just perfectly quiet. So when people think that it's normal for their birds to scream constantly, that's wrong. For them to scream for maybe 
uh, 15 minutes at a time, two to three times a day, is normal. That's normal, that, and that's something people should realize too. That's yes. uh, you know, if if they cannot deal with 45 minutes throughout the day of bird screaming, then maybe they should look at a goldfish. Right, right. They need to find <laughs> some some quieter pet, uh, and if they still want a bird, then something like a dove might be nice. But <laughs> okay. even then, they might not like all that cooing, you know. <laughs> Feather picking. What's the deal with feather picking? Well, it is my opinion that the vast majority of feather picking is not actually an emotional issue, that it is a physical problem, a health problem with the bird. Consequently, whenever any bird starts to feather pick, or if you have a bird that has a sudden behavioral change of any kind, in fact, even a, a bird that bites a lot for no reason stops biting. Uh, I always recommend that you take the bird to a good avian veterinarian for a full workup. And feather picking can be for many, many uh, different physical problems. Some of them we've identified, others that we have not. Um, there is very little scientific studies that have been done on feather picking that prove exactly what the causes are. And I have found that uh, most of the people I know who have had birds that feather pick are suffering from a tremendous amount of guilt, thinking that they have done something horribly wrong to their birds that has caused their bird to feather pick. And many of them cannot handle that guilt. And consequently, they give the bird up because they cannot handle the guilt. Not Ah. because they don't want the bird, they don't love the bird, but simply because they can't handle the the guilt aspect of it. And uh, I think it's important for those people to know that the cause is more than likely a physical cause and that eventually, if they can narrow that down, then uh, the bird will probably stop feather picking. However, as a behavioral consultant, I do know that there are those occasions when the problem is an emotional one. And uh, because of that, whenever anybody consults me on feather picking, I try to look at it from a holistic view, and we do deal with the issues as if it were a behavioral problem. Well, I I know with uh, when I'm consulting with dog and cat owners on behavior mm-hmm. issues, I try to emphasize how important a partnership with your veterinarian is because it can be so tied together there. And there's a reason we call it the practice of medicine. We're still we're still trying to figure out a lot of these things that uh, hopefully someday we'll be able to know exactly how to solve some of these issues. When I'm doing a consultation, I like for the, the people who are involved to think of us all as a team. Uh, the team consists of, of them, the family. They're the players. The veterinarian and myself, we're the coaches. And then the target the goal that we have set that we want to take that bird to that goal 
and the coaches are there to support the players and get that bird to that goal. And I, I think that the, um, the attitude, the idea that we are a team is one that's really important. So I, I consider myself a, a team member with a veterinarian. Well, before we close up here, Kashmir, tell folks how they can find you. Where is your website? Uh, how do they find you as a consultant, maybe through IABC? Give us some resources here, and we'll be sure and post those on your guest page as well. Yes, uh, they can contact me through IABC. Um, there's a, a locator for consultants, and I'm in there. They can also go to my website, which is macallmama.com. And Mama spelled M-A-M-A. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll find beautiful, gorgeous pictures of some of the of your birds there at macamama.com. So we are out of time, but I would like to thank Kashmir Shaki so much and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. Now, I dare you to join me next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio for the next installment of What Hisses You Off. Email me suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the free monthly Pet Peeves newsletter available at Shujai.com. Whistles and chirps and parrot screams until next time. And remember that doing your homework is key to choosing a companion bird that will be healthy and happy living with you for many years, perhaps decades to come. And listening to your parrot's cheap thrills so you understand each other can prevent behavior problems. After all, you don't want them to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.